and that is only a portion of the uh, partners and uh, agencies that your gifts to the church help us support and empower and resource literally around the world. And that is one reason, amongst many, it's very appropriate for us to take one Sunday and say, let's talk about missions. Let's talk about the Great Commission. Let's talk about what God is doing around the world. And uh, we're doing that today. I want to welcome our other campuses joining us here. And to emphasize something you heard earlier in the service, tonight at 6 o'clock, we have three all-church gatherings a year. This is one of them. Tonight at 6 o'clock, Focus on missions. Our our, uh, missions team has done tremendous work. Uh, We have immersive experiences. If you have children, bring them. Uh, The church is going to be set up with all kinds of opportunities to experience, to learn about uh, God's work around the world. That'll be tonight uh, at 6 o'clock, and I would uh, encourage you, uh, what we're going to talk about tonight is more important than about anything else, and so come and be a part of it. Also, as you leave Uh, the services today, you are going to receive a booklet like this that uh, is just a description of our our missions. Take it, put it on your nightstand. It's a great thing all year just to refer to, pray over, and you'll receive one of these resources as as you leave. There is some irony, I think, in a church having a mission Sunday. Uh, It reminds me of the oft-asked question by children on Mother's Day or Father's Day, when is it Kids' Day? And the answer, say it with me, every day is Kids' Day. Every Sunday is Mission Sunday. Properly understood, every Sunday is Mission Sunday, and indeed every day since Jesus gave These words to the apostles, go and make disciples of all nations, every day is missions day. If you're a Christian, today is a day, tomorrow is a day to be on mission with Jesus and what he is doing in this world. At least it should be. I think when God's people, I know for myself, when I'm on my A game and I'm out in the world and I'm kind of thinking this way, I'm I'm looking for opportunities to build bridges, etc. When I'm on my A game, then, then I'm, I'm on mission, but I'm not always on my A-game. Are you? In fact, maybe I could ask, how long has it been since you were on your mission's A-game? The Bible says that our lives are to create a kind of curiosity, a holy curiosity that people have as they sort of see the, way, the values that we live by and the priorities of our life, and they're kind of like, okay, what gives? Like, what's your deal? First Peter has a lot to say about that. When sinners respond to the gospel and receive and believe in Jesus, the Bible says this sets the angels in heaven dancing. What a wonderful thing it is when a sinner receives Christ as their Savior, don't you think? So, for example, last Sunday... Two women at our Chinese congregation, as I understand it, at the end of the service, prayed to receive Christ as their Savior. Two women at our Chinese ministry. Now, that's two out of 50 people. 
If that same ratio happened across our, all of our campuses, last Sunday we would have had 132 people that received Christ as their Savior. What would we call that? We would call that a revival, wouldn't we? And what an exciting thing that would be. Two women became Christians. Now, I can say that. It's simple to say. But there is so much involved in those two women being made right with God forever. There's a whole chain of events preceding them and efforts that were put forth prior to them even coming to that service. And that is true for every single convert to Christ. And we are in our series on Romans, and it's no coincidence that our series lands us on the text that we have today here on Mission Sunday. Romans examines in reverse order, the sequence of events necessary for somebody to become a Christian. And this is not just true for the two women at the, con- at the congregation last week. This is true if you're a Christian here today. Maybe you've never thought about all the things that had to take place for you to come under the grace of God. Now, what Paul does in the text is he does this in reverse order. He reverse engineers conversion. You might say, oh, reverse engineer, it's early on a Sunday. What does that exactly mean? This son of a mechanical engineer will be happy to tell you that reverse engineering is when you start with the finished product and then you take it apart piece by piece to see how it all went together and how it works. So for example, they've been, trying, they've been doing this with the pyramids in Egypt for a very long time, right? They're, they're there. There they are. You can't deny it. The finished product, bam. How'd they do that? And so the scientists and the engineers are trying to figure out how do they move those massive blocks without any engines and mechanical, they had mechanical advantage, but not the things that we have today. It's still a wonder, the pyramids, how did they do it? They reverse engineer to try to figure it out. That's what Paul does. Only the wonder of the world is not the pyramids. The wonder of the world is the gospel. And a sinner actually putting all their hope and trust in Jesus. Like, how does that happen? What does it take? So here we go, step by step backwards, Romans 10. I'll begin in verse 13. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Now here comes, so that's, there's the pyramid. Here's the reverse engineering. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, summary now, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. May God bless his word to us today. Now I want to begin here because we are in this big series on Romans. I want to show how this text fits in the big sweeping thing that Paul is doing in Romans. But then I'm going to get into how it actually applies to the subject of missions and the gospel uh, and our Sunday here uh, together. So as we've been seeing in, in, in Romans, really chapter 9, verse 30, and to the end of chapter 11, Paul is addressing Israel's spot in this overall work of God's redemption. And he is addressing the fact that Israel has failed to achieve what they have been trying to achieve. And and the Gentiles, who didn't have near the spiritual privileges that the Jews have, 
have actually achieved right standing with God, those that actually believe in Jesus. Not all Gentiles are Christians and not all uh, Jews are not, okay? But by and large, the Jews have missed it. And we saw how he talks about how Israel, the Israelites had all of these incredible privileges. They had the patriarchs and they had Moses and they had the law of God and the Exodus and they had the tabernacle and the temple and the, the covenants and many other things that placed them in a spot of of spiritual revelation and privilege far more than the average pagan out there in you know, Asia Minor somewhere. And yet, in spite of that, they have not achieved right standing with God. Why? Well, they weren't trusting in Jesus. They were trusting in the fact that I have DNA connection to Abraham and their own self-righteous efforts to obey the law. At the same time, the Gentiles, who couldn't give a rip about the Old Testament law, now have come to hear about Jesus and right standing with God by faith in him. And they have placed their trust in him and now they, are, they have eternal life. You know, in our world, it's not very often that, this, that the, the privileged end up failing and the underprivileged end up succeeding. But that's what we have going on here. The Jews were the privileged, they have failed. The Gentiles, underprivileged, not privileged, they now have succeeded and have done so by faith in Jesus. So if you're reading this, and if you were Jewish at the time, and you've gone through all your various excuses, you've been following along with what Paul is saying, you might say to yourself, well, I guess the bottom line is, I just didn't know this. Nobody ever told me this. I can't be to blame, therefore. And we look ahead at verse 17, and here's what Paul says. So faith comes from hearing, and hearing through the word of Christ. But I ask, have they not heard? Indeed they have. Their voice has gone out to all the earth and their words to the end of the world. What Paul is saying here is that the Jews have actually heard the gospel. Jesus' life and ministry was the talk of the whole countryside. Everybody knew about Jesus, even though they didn't understand that he was coming to die for sins, most of them at least. For decades now, the apostles and many other Christians have been sent all over the place. They're sharing the gospel everywhere they go. The problem here was not a lack of hearing. The problem was a lack of listening, much like what might be going on right now in the room. Wives, you know how this goes. When you ask your husband to do something and he doesn't do it, what's the problem? Did I just lose my man card on that question right there? <laughs> Let me get it back. Man, what happens, husbands, if you have a wife and, and, and you say to your wife in the morning, or you mention to her that the game is on today, what does your wife hear? Nothing at all. She hears nothing. So hopefully I got it back on that, okay? What's the problem? There's a difference between hearing something and actually listening. And Paul says, You've been hearing the gospel. People have been telling it to you all over the countryside for decades now. The problem is not that you haven't heard. The problem is that you have not listened. Their pride in the Abrahamic DNA plugged their ears. Their self-righteousness plugged their hearts. And they refused to call on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved. So in the grand scheme, that's where this text fits in the larger argument, okay? Now, what about, what about Mission Sunday? And here we are, 
in a text that arguably, other than maybe the Great Commission itself, if you go to a missions conference or if you're involved with some kind of a missions whatever, this is probably the most popular text in all the Bible to talk about missions and God's work around the world. Why? Well, because as I said, it reverse engineers all the things that are necessary for somebody to be converted to Christ. All the way back to the person being sent to share the gospel in the first place. Okay, so notice again, here are the main steps. Okay, here they are. Call on Jesus, this is the reverse order. Believe on Jesus, hear about Jesus, Somebody shares the gospel about Jesus with that person, and that person who shares the gospel was sent. That's the reverse order. Now, the chronological order is the opposite of that, right? In chronological order, Christian A is sent out. Christian A somehow interacts with sinner B. Sinner B hears about Jesus. Sinner B believes in Jesus. Sinner B calls on the name of the Lord and is saved. Now, I look at this, and, and, and you know, I, I kind of want to say, hey, Paul, you know, Romans is kind of hard as it is. Why all this sort of backwards thinking? I mean, you're sort of throwing us a little curveball here. Why do we have to sort of think about this in reverse? Here's why. Because he is emphasizing the urgency, listen, the urgency of gospel hearing in order for there to be gospel believing. Let me say that again. There is urgency in gospel hearing in order for there to be gospel believing. Why? Because there is no other name under heaven whereby men might be saved than the name of Jesus. How are people going to be saved if they aren't told the gospel in some manner? They can't. And that reality has been the motivating factor for centuries of God's people leaving the comfort of wherever they are and going into some spiritually underprivileged place and declaring Jesus is Lord. There are thrilling stories. Parents, I would urge your children to grow up knowing these stories. Thrilling stories of David Livingston and Hudson Taylor and Amy Carmichael and Eric Little and Jim Elliott and thousands of stories that we don't even know about and get to hear in heaven someday of people who at great personal risk and sacrifice with a heart for the lost needing to hear the gospel were sent into that place and were faithful to the call. And you read those stories and ask the question, why would somebody do that? Like, why? Hudson Taylor. Talk about growing up with privilege. Grew up incredibly wealthy. The world was at his fingertips. He left it all to go to China. What's he thinking in heaven right now as he sees China about to become the most Christian nation on earth? How can they believe if they never hear? And the answer is they can't. And therefore, there is urgency in all of these steps that lead up to the conversion, in all of the resourcing, in all of the training, in all of the, of the sending. 
And who is doing that? Magical people out there? No, it's real people like you and me and a real church like ours. That is resourcing, sending, and going into the world so that people can hear the gospel and believe in Jesus and have the gift of eternal life. And ironically, Paul himself represents this very paradigm. If you, if you read the story of Paul, this is exactly Paul. He, he was basically a pastor in Antioch. He was there doing his thing, his pastoring thing. And the Holy Spirit makes it clear that Paul and Barnabas are now to be sent out. Here's the text, Acts 13. Now there were in the church at Antioch prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manaean, a lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. That was his prename, Paul. We know him as. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. And so what did they do? They said, no, we like it here in Antioch. No, they went. The Holy Spirit commissioned them, the church commissioned them, and out they went, sending, going, and sharing. And what Paul is doing here is he is urging more sending, going, and sharing with the motive that only by the hearing of the gospel can people be saved. And to that end, I have three urgencies out of this text for God's people and for our church here today. Here's the first, is that God's sovereignty never negates gospel sharing. God's sovereignty never negates gospel sharing sharing. If you're brand new here to our church today, this might sound a little confusing to you, but if you've been coming for a couple months, you know we've just plowed through the difficult uh, soil of Romans 9 and all that it has to say about the sovereignty of God and salvation and the sovereign grace of God to us. And maybe you're still trying to wrap your mind around that, and if so, come join my party with that, because there are mind-bending doctrines in there that Finite humans like us, we can't totally get our minds around. But you don't want to read Romans 9 without the urgency of sharing the gospel in Romans 10. Because if you just read Romans 9, you might think to yourself, God's sovereign in salvation, so therefore I'm just going to sort of set back and I'm just going to trust the sovereignty of God to bring people to saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. Hey, it's good news. We don't do a... Do we don't do diddly squat in this? It's all God. That's what you said, Pastor Steve. Salvation, it's all God. It's all about him. I'm going to sit back. I'm not going to lift a finger in gospel ministry. That is a wrong reading of Romans 9, and it's a horrible doctrine of the sovereignty of God. And if somehow you came out of Romans 9 with this sort of like, whoo, guilt trip over, I don't have to worry about doing anything, you have a wrong doctrine of the sovereignty of God. And if Paul was here right now, I'd say, look at his life. <laughs> That's the guy that wrote Romans 9. Did, God, did Paul just sit back in Antioch and say, hey, Holy Spirit, you don't need to send me out. If they're going to get saved, they're going to get saved. No. You read the story of the Apostle Paul and the sufferings that he went through and all the things that he endured. The guy that, that wrote the book literally on the sovereignty of God was the most passionate, the most self-sacrificing, the most involved missionary of all time. Apparently for Paul, sovereignty doesn't mean you sit on your, on your rear end. 
Perhaps you've heard my illustration of this, my favorite one, I'll share it again. If this Easter, my family does an Easter egg hunt, and we take our girls outside and we say, listen girls, there may or may not be eggs in the yard. Have at it. How much endurance do they have in the looking? Not very much. But if we put, take them outside and we say, girls, there are 35 eggs filled with chocolate out in this yard. Have at it. How long do they endure in the task? Until every one of them is found, right? And if you want to understand election, it's God saying there are eggs all over the world. There are people from every tribe, tongue, language, and nation that have been, yes, indeed, elect by God before the foundations of the world. And that election needs to connect with the hearing of the gospel. And somehow in the mystery of God, I don't get it. Those that respond are those that were chosen. But they only respond if they hear the gospel. And who is going to share the gospel with them? Magical people out there? No, it's people like you and me. We envision this sort of like mystery army out there doing ministry. No, it's normal people like you and me. The Great Commission is for normal people like you and me. Why share if God is sovereign? Here's why. Because God has ordained the end as well as the means to the end. God has ordained the end as well as the means to the end. The end is a future heaven with a gathered throng around the throne, the lamb at the center, and in that throng, people of every skin color, people of every native language, people from literally all over the world. That's the end. What is the means to the end? The means to the end is God's people sharing God's gospel to the ends of the earth that they might hear and be saved. This text is about the pre-work, the preparing, the resourcing, the sending. Who does that? Again, there's no magical sort of, you know, thing out there. It's churches like our church and people like us that do this and must do it. There is no sitting back and letting God's sovereignty do it. This is like deciding you're gonna go on vacation to Austin, Texas. I've ordained I'm going to Austin, Texas for vacation. I'm gonna sit back and just trust that I'm gonna end up on this date in Austin, Texas. How does that work for you? Badly. Because if you decide you're gonna to go to Austin, Texas, there's a whole host of things that you have to do in order to end up in Austin, Texas. You start looking at flights and you start checking out, you know, roadmaps and calculating and figuring out rental cars and a bunch of other things in order to end up in Austin, Texas. Practically, what does that look like in evangelism? What did it look like for those two women last Sunday at our Chinese congregation? Let's reverse engineer our two new dear sisters in our church their salvation. What did it look like? Well, it started with a more and better vision. 
which led Bethelonians to give money and to pray. God provided Pastor Tim. What a blessing he is. God provides Pastor Tim Chen. And then there are hours and hours of labor. Some of you involved in this, all the planning and all the working and all the things that went into that. Pastor Tim studies the Word of God prior to last Sunday, gets his message ready. The women hear the gospel. And by the power of God and by the Spirit of God, those women trust in Christ. That's how it happened. Now, we tend to be like, yay, women trusted in Christ, and we should. But what Paul is saying about all these things that lead up to it is, yay, 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 and you better be a part of it. You all better be a part of it. I think back to a group of elders who started the ball rolling, and God's people laboring in prayer and giving money. I think of of so many uh, people that were involved for a decade of Chinese student relationship building. Praise God for them. Untold meetings. Thousands of other things. Friends, listen to this. Gospel response requires gospel hearing. And gospel hearing requires gospel sharing. And gospel sharing requires gospel sending. And gospel sending requires gospel-loving Christians who treasure the gospel and love the lost and want everyone to know uh, King Jesus. All of that is required. So we could ask the question, who actually shared Christ with those two women last Sunday? Really? Well, we'd say, well, Pastor Tim Chen. Well, yes, but how did he get there that day and that rough week he had before? So we'll include his wife Daphne in it. Tim and Daphne Chen. Well, we could also probably say Tim Chen and 50 other Chinese Christians at that campus who've been prepping and praying and doing all those things. Okay, we'll say that. What about Tim Chen and 10 years of Chinese student host families? How about Tim Chen and elders who envisioned this in the first place? How about Tim Chen and hundreds in our church who gave to more and better? How about Tim Chen and thousands of Bethelonians who have prayed and supported? We could say Tim Chen and the Holy Spirit. We could say Tim Chen and a sovereignly electing God who ordained those women to be saved before the foundations of the world. We could say Tim Chen and Jesus who bore those women's guilt on the cross when he died. 2,000 years ago, we could say Tim Chen and centuries of faithful preachers and teachers who've passed the gospel on down to us in this present day. And all of that, I'm trying to say, don't make the sovereignty of God an excuse for you not being a part of it. Because Jesus has called all of us to be a part of this. It's what motivates us to share Jesus as far and as wide as possible. That's the first urgency. Don't hide behind sovereignty. Secondly, I want you to see here that all Christians are preachers. Who's the preacher at, at, at Bethel Church? Probably somebody go, oh, well, probably be Pastor Steve. I'd say Pastor Steve. Oh, really? Bethel Church has one preacher. That's a sad church. If there's only one person in the whole church that's sharing about Jesus. That'd be a very disobedient church. And I would appeal to you that you you should all want to be preachers. 
Why do I say that? It's because of this verse, I've saved it till now. Did you see how the section ends? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. How beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. If you've been a Christian very long, you probably know this verse. But do you understand it? Do you understand what it's saying? Here it is. It's a quote from Isaiah 52. And in context, it's telling about a herald who goes to the destroyed city of Jerusalem and declares to them, our God reigns. How do you think people sitting in that destroyed city, the stragglers and the hagglers there, how would they respond to a message, somebody saying, the God of Jerusalem reigns on high? Sure doesn't look like it. The tabernacle, or the temples, wasted, the walls torn down. <laughs> Our God reigns? I don't think so. Did the herald do his job? Declaring our God reigns. Yes. It's, it's, it's not the herald's job to change the mind. It's the herald's job to share the message. Oftentimes in gospel evangelism, it feels like we are shouting in a destroyed city the love and the kindness and the grace of God. And that's one reason in this broken down Jerusalem of a world that we live in right now, our message of the love of God, our message of, you know, a future city and, and uh, hope in Jesus, this all sounds in a broken city like, you know, hogwash, right? That doesn't make any sense at all. But our responsibility is not to do the saving. Our responsibility is to do the sharing, and if you're a Christian here, you're called to be a preacher, a communicator, a sharer of the gospel. And I think if there's a downside to Sundays like Mission Sunday, it is the misconception that missions is what our mission partners do and we support them with money and prayer. And so you might leave here at the campuses. Well, I think we've got displays and we've got people at all the campuses, ministry partners sharing. And we could easily sort of sit back and, and be like fans in the stands and be like, you all go get them. I've been renewed in my appreciation for what you do and my gladness that I don't have to do it. So we slap them on the back. We tell them we love them. And we go back to our comfortable, non-gospel, living, sharing lives and think, wow, we, have, we are a church with amazing missions. That is not Jesus' vision for the church. That's a church of ugly feet. Is it urgent that Hindus in South India be reached with the gospel through Abraham Thomas's efforts? We say yes. Is it any more urgent for those Hindus there to hear about Jesus than the Hindus who live next to you? Is it urgent that Muslims in many of these difficult places hear the gospel and believe in Jesus? We say yes. Every missions church would say yes. 
Is it any more urgent for those Muslims to hear it than the Muslims that perhaps live near you? No, it's all critical. That's the point. And so I want to ask you, in terms of your role as a herald, how's that going for you? I've been in services where the the pastor will say, how long has it been since you shared the gospel verbally with anybody? And I'm not going to ask that because I I find that very sort of guilt-tripping, so I'm not asking it. I'm just saying I've heard people ask that. And if it drops a sort of convictional thought in your heart, then so be it. All Christians are called to be preachers. Here's the third urgency, is that our feet are beautiful when the gospel to us is wonderful. Our feet are beautiful when to us the gospel is wonderful. Again, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach good news? Again, preaching here is not just like what I'm doing right now. It's to be a herald. This is, this is gospel neighboring and gospel communicating in the course of your life on varying levels. It means to share. It means to communicate. Most people come to faith in Christ through interpersonal sharing. I'll bet if we did a survey here today, it was somebody that God placed in your life, somebody significant, you trusted them, you heard what they had to say that God used to bring you to faith. What is striking here about the language is that of all the body parts, (laughs) of all the body parts for the Bible to say could be beautiful, feet. I don't know that I've ever seen a beautiful foot, except my wife's. (laughs) I mean, beautiful feet, come on. Okay, a beautiful hand, a beautiful face, but a beautiful foot? I don't know about that. And to think about this being in the first century, our feet are much better looking than their feet. I mean, they had no Nike gel-soled shoes and Dr. Scholl inserts and, you know, uh, things like this. They, they walked around in sandals and they walked on paths that they and animals walked on. I was recently at Mackinac Island and it's a beautiful, charming place. You should all go at some time. But I'm here to tell you right now, you go to Mackinac Island, one of the things you don't think about till you're there is all of the horse manure that's on all of the paths. And I, I was out for a, uh, a walk. I was thinking about this as an il- side note, illustration of what ministry is like because when I first got there, I was walking around and I was trying to step, you know, over it and around it. And eventually I just gave up. I was like, you just, I, you know, I just kept stepping in it. And that's what ministry is like. You just end up stepping in it. <laughs> no matter how much you try, you end up stepping in it. But that's the world that these people lived in. That's why it was such an act of service and servanthood to wash somebody's feet. And Jesus, of course, washed the disciples' feet. Powerful illustration. What makes our feet beautiful? When our feet take us into a space, place, or relationship where our mouths communicate the gospel. 
Because have you, I don't know if you noticed this, where your feet go, your mouth goes, right? Did anybody leave their mouth at home today? I doubt it, right? Your feet went here and lo and behold, your mouth came along as well. So therefore, what he's saying is that how beautiful are the feet that carry us into places, spaces, and relationships that allow us to share the good news of Jesus. Can we be honest for a moment? Why, and I I can't say that I, this is anecdotal, but to my eye, even look in my own heart, my own life, why am I so quiet about the gospel? So hesitant to share? I mean, the gospel means good news. Am I opposed to sharing good news? No, I, I love to share good news. But yet somehow when it's, it's Jesus, it's like bleh, bleh, bleh. It just, it doesn't seem to come out like most other good news. And I would submit to us that the reason we don't share the good news of Jesus is that often we don't treasure it as good news, actually. It's news. Or to some of us, it's old news. It's old news. How excited are we about the stock run-up of 1973? Old news. Doesn't excite me anymore. Don't talk about it. It was exciting at one time in my life, but I, I, don't, I don't talk about it. I heard uh, David Jeremiah said, you can tell the vitality of your Christian life by how old your illustrations are. That's convicting. The people who have been most effective in their evangelism are those for whom the gospel is great news. And so you don't need to look at your feet. I'm saying look at your heart today. And to ask yourself, here in my heart, has has the treasure of knowing Christ somehow diminished in my value set? Am 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 I succumbing to the sort of aging and corroding of my joy in Jesus? It's just news. It's not good news. One commentator, the feet are said to be beautiful because their movements betray the character of the message being brought. I like that quote a lot because it's so true. You know, there's a kid's movie. I live in kid movie world now. And there's a kid movie that called Happy Feet. And it's this penguin who, you know, doesn't walk like penguins are supposed to walk. He's got happy feet. He just can't help but dance. And the story of the movie is, as I recall, that this infectious happiness in his feet begins to infect the rest of the, what, flock? I don't know if you call penguins flocks, but the rest of the flock. And pretty soon, everybody there is dancing with happy feet. And that's the sense of this verse. How beautiful are the feet of those who preach good news. That there is a sense of gospel happiness, of gospel happy feet. This isn't urging us to have beautiful feet. It's urging us to treasure the gospel and have a happiness in Jesus that compels us to share that happy news And for that infectious gospel dance to take us around the corner and around 
the world. What are the most beautiful feet of all time? Jesus' feet. And why were his feet beautiful? Because he was the ultimate missionary who was sent, who came, who shared the good news. Why are they beautiful? Because they are nail-pierced feet. How beautiful are the feet of those who preach good news? Can I ask a question this morning that challenges my heart? Because I will confess to you today, I think many of you would be disappointed in my hesitancy. I can be a lion in here, but I'm too often a lamb out there. And I'm sorry. I want to change. So can I ask you this question? Is the reason that perhaps you don't share the gospel is because to you it's not good news? Or it's not good enough news. And why is that? What has happened in your soul where this is not spot number one in terms of what makes you happy? You'll talk about the ball game. You'll talk about your kids. You'll talk with anybody about the grass in their yard. But somehow Jesus never comes off the lips Can we corporately repent of this? Think of the effect of a church-wide repentance on our failure to so treasure Jesus in the gospel that the heart speaks through the mouth.